0: Good evening, happy Tuesday, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio and podcast show of the Society of Graduate Students. My name is Yiman Chen, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Hanna. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today?
1: Good. I mean, it's a, it was a medium lovely day. It was, medium, had a yeah. medium lovely. Okay. is how I'll describe it. It was kind of nice out, got a little under the weather. It kind of seemed a little like it was going to rain. Then it got humid. Yeah. So it was medium, medium weather today.
0: It could be worse. But, um, I mean, we're not here to talk about the weather today. Of course. We have a very, very very special guest. Um, We have the president of SOGS itself, America Blake Bond. How are you doing? I'm fine. Doing well on this medium lovely day. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming in on this medium lovely day. The sun's still out, the birds are still chirping, and you're here in the radio studio with us. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Okay. So when you're when you're not uh, president of Sog's, you are a graduate student here at Western. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
2: Yes. Well, I'm in the PhD program in music theory. You probably want to know what that is. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, music theory is uh, a discipline that uh, spans many different uh, uh, approaches to music. On the surface of it, we try to explain what music is or how we understand music. So when we teach music theory to the first year undergrads, for example, um, it tends to be mostly identifying what the various chords are in a piece. Um, But uh, when you get to the doctoral level, you get to do some more exciting things. So my research touches a lot on philosophy of music and musical thought. Uh, Some of my colleagues focus more on mathematical modeling of music uh, or on uh, intersections with musicology, which is the historical study of music.
0: Um, So music theory touches on a lot of different things. Uh, I I just want to backtrack a tiny bit. You you raised a very interesting question that I had never really thought about and... You said, music theory investigates questions of what music is, and that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I never thought about, you know, what is music. Yeah, well,
2: a lot of the, uh, a lot of what happened um, in both music theory and composition in the twentieth century, really tried to uh, push the limit of what music is. Everyone knows John Cage, or many people know John Cage from his famous piece 433, which is the four minutes, four minutes and 33 seconds of silence, but he did many other things too, and he particularly liked experimenting with sound, and uh, apparently to him everything was music, every sound was music, and... Uh, there's a video of him, he was also an amateur mycologist of all things, but there's a video of him collecting mushrooms and he says, you know, music is not like mushrooms. Uh, with the mushrooms, some of them you can eat and uh, and some of them you, you can't eat. Uh, some of them will kill you, but music is not like that. Every sound is music. Uh, obviously, there are, there are those who would disagree with John Cage. So, So what music is, is... It, a, quite a complicated question. That's why it, it needs a whole discipline to uh, to probe that question. Oh, but wow. yeah, there, there's been quite a lot of research into what music is. Is there any music you can eat? Any music you can eat? Oh, probably. Uh, people compose concertos for many things. There, there might be a concerto for buffet. And that seems like something somebody would do. Just
1: just one thing you mentioned earlier, uh, people who study music as a form of math. Can you elaborate on that one just a little bit? I've, I've never heard that. I mean, I know I can read music to an extent, but I, I don't know how the mathematical side of that works.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, again, there, there are many different approaches to that. Um, uh, math has something called set theory. So in music, we also have something called set theory. They're not quite the same thing. Um, but pitch class set theory was... An approach to studying music that developed again in the mid twentieth century, um, because our traditional ways of classifying music—what I mentioned earlier, you know, labeling chords, labeling pitches, that kind of thing—didn't uh, quite work for some of the atonal music. Um, so, you know, music that's not obviously in a key uh, that uh, that that developed at that time. And so, uh, Alan Fort at Yale University developed a system. Uh, for analyzing musical pieces by labeling all of the pitches using the integers 0 through 11 um, representing essentially the notes C through B. Um, You can see the 12 of them laid out there on a piano if you imagine that. Um, There are also, uh, one of my colleagues studies melodic contour using a mathematical model that she's developed. Um, Another studies intervals which um, are the spaces between uh, notes and y- you can develop mathematical models for for showing that
1: so it's not just like Pythagorean theorem that we're never going to use again you guys do constantly use this uh, this mathematical fo- like formulas and equations to an extent on your regular uh, in your regular day
2: well yeah. oh, I feel sorry for anyone who regrets learning the Py- Pythagorean
1: theorem it's
2: one of my <laughs>
0: one of my least favorite internet memes, to
1: be honest. Oh, no. Oh,
0: the geez. poor guy. Well, I mean, music in, in many ways is like a set of patterns, right? And, yes. And it, that's one of the ways that math sort of intersects. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And uh, no, I'm not going to say
2: studies because I don't know which ones, but okay. uh, at least some people say that music and math use a similar part of the brain. Oh, I, interesting neat. don't don't quote me on that well we might have to dig anyone up some who any in, if know, anyone's
0: listening who's in neuroscience they might say well that's completely wrong but well they're not here so no they're not here uh maybe they can come uh, come in on another show <laughs> so we're talking about the intersection between music and math how about the intersection between music and you how did you uh come to arrive at a graduate you know studies program in music Uh, Most directly, it was because I did an undergraduate in music. Uh, Before that,
2: I started playing the violin uh, in kindergarten, or maybe first grade. I think it was first grade. Um, And uh, previously to that, I had sung at church. Um, So I'd I'd been around music pretty much all my life. My father's also a musician. Um, And so it it was just always something that I did. And then when I got to university, it was something that I didn't want to stop doing. Um, So I decided to do a music degree in 2008. I said, to heck with it. I'm going to do a music degree. Some would say that was a weird decision, but I
0: regret nothing. Oh, excellent. So you said you play the violin. Is there anything else you play?
2: Uh, Well, I've also studied voice, um, and I pretend to play the viola. um, And I play (laughs) the keyboards to the extent to which we all have to, but don't ask me to demonstrate that. All right.
0: I've also heard... um, I don't know if they're the rumors or something that you were once part of a mariachi band. Uh, yes,
2: yes, I have been
1: part of a mariachi band. So those rumors band. are confirmed. Yes, right. Mariachi Verified. Cielo
2: Rojo. We've been heard at uh, many quinceañeras and anniversary parties here in London. All right,
0: here in London. Yes. Well, now we're that?
2: currently on hiatus because the singer, who's also a Western graduate, uh, moved to Montreal. But so, should if we you find a new singer, is what you're saying. <laughs> Well, it was his band, so I I suppose we'd have to reunite with a different name, but yeah, anything's possible.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Well, so moving on to your specific um, graduate research here, what is the project you're working on?
2: Uh, Well, currently I'm looking at the role of the voice in how we understand music, um, which obviously that's a very broad topic. And I'm approaching it um, uh, in a, in a constellational way, a la Walter Benjamin. Uh, I think the voices, you know, the singing voices and also spoken voices uh, manifest themselves in music in, in many different ways. So I'm looking at, well, a, a lot of, A lot of the ways we talk about music are based on trying to see a whole piece of music at the same time. Um, If you imagine a piano player, they can play a lot of different notes at once, whereas a singer can only sing one note. Um, So often we try to take that kind of pianistic perspective of, I can understand everything that's sounding at this moment uh, at the same time. Uh, Whereas, you know, on the one hand, if you sacrifice something, you lose that, but you also Gain something by really being able to understand that one vocal line. So I'm looking at, well, what if I approach a piece um, that way instead? Um, and then I'm also looking at, uh, well, voices are fairly complex just on their own. Um, the you know, for example, if you take uh, a piece of art music, often uh, there will be a text written in the first person. But if you think about that text, then really who is speaking? Is it the composer? Is it the poet? Is it the character in the song? Is it the singer? Is it a particularly famous singer who has you know, a renowned historical recording of that piece? Often these are going to be five different people. And who really is speaking? Are they all speaking at the same time? Once
0: you start to ask those questions, it, it gets very interesting. Okay, so you you just mentioned art music, and you you, you sort of started to keep on going, and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Could you could you speak a little bit about what what is art music? Is you're not talking about Justin Bieber, are you? Uh, not so much. Okay.
2: Um, <laughs> well, when I said art music, I properly should have said art song, um, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, what I was really speaking about um, is you know something like a, a lead by Schubert or a melody by Faure, Um
0: Okay, uh, a specific
2: kind of song yeah. that was popular in the 19th century. Um, right. But more broadly, art music um, is a term that's often used to refer to what people tend to call classical music. Uh, it's it, the, the the term classical music is problematic in itself because uh, the the classical, capital C classical period, is a specific time period that does not span all of art music. But um uh, yeah, the, the term art music is often used uh, to distinguish um, a certain kind of music from popular music. Um, it, not to detract from the validity of popular music, but they're right. different.
0: So would you say it's somewhat comparable to the idea of, you know, like literature in in writing and reading and sort of English studies, things like that? Uh, yes, yes, so I, I like think like Shakespeare, so. for example, would be sort of the uh, the written equivalent to art music in a way. Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, you, you don't need just the Shakespeare standard, but
2: right. But yeah, yeah, I think the kind of books you would read in English class uh, would be equivalent to art music.
1: Now for your like sp- uh, specific studies, do you find that you can apply these theories into let's say more modern music, more what you know, we'll put it as radio music? Um, do you find Top that ladies. yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, do you find that it has the same application or are we in a kind of musical lull right now?
2: Um, yeah, I do. And and you know, it, it depends. Uh, I went to a conference a year ago and the keynote speaker, no, I actually forget who it was, but um, he said that popular music actually isn't worthy of the term music, that it should simply be called recorded sound product or something to that effect. Um, I I tend not to take uh, such a harsh uh, perspective on it. And in fact, I do... Uh, talk about popular music to a certain extent in my dissertation. So I, I don't think that a hard line in the sand needs to be drawn between art music and popular music. And indeed, you, where do you even necessarily draw that line? Where would you put jazz? It's it's not self-evident. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, where would you put popular music from the 30s that's taken on a, a, a certain quality? Um, but anyway, uh, n- so no, I, I don't think that... Um, I, I don't think that such a firm line needs to be drawn between art music and popular music. But I do also think it is useful, I, particularly, you know, popular music of the 60s compared to popular music of today. There is also a difference mm-hmm. there. Uh, Yemen mentioned Justin Bieber earlier. I, <laughs> I may have. Yeah, I I. I I do admit I, I have no intentions of studying Justin Bieber. Um, you know, if that changes, I'll let you know. But a, a lot of his work, I think, probably is better uh, handled in your discipline. Sort of like a popular culture.
1: Yeah. So, okay. If you don't mind me asking one more question then with regarding uh, the modern music then, um, our generation gets kind of criticized. Let's say we're heavy on electronics, auto-tune, um, I mean, whatever dubstep is. Um so, what what's your interpretation of that, or if you've looked into any sort of uh, commentary on on that?
2: Um, yeah, actually, uh, one former doctoral student in the Faculty of Music and uh, one current both study um, EDM from the perspective of a DJ. Um, and uh, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot of interesting things you can say about electronic music, um, and you know, one of the things that they say is that the, the scholarship about that kind of music should should be more aligned with the practice of that kind of music. You know, for example, somebody who has experience being a DJ is you know, very is in a, in many ways better qualified to talk about EDM than somebody who uh, has just heard it. Um, so, absolutely, I think that uh, there is room to talk about. That kind of music, and and we should be talking about that kind of music, uh, but the methodology is not the same as what you would use to talk about art song from the nineteenth century or
0: or something like that. Okay, so then is that sort of the um, the time frame of the music you're looking at, the nineteenth century?
2: Oh, not necessarily. Uh, the nineteenth century just keeps coming up because I mentioned art song, and then okay. Um,
0: so what is there? You know, sort of a time period you're looking at, and you you mentioned methods what are the the methods you use to study uh, art music yeah
2: um yeah uh, there's there's not a specific time period to which i've constrained myself um yeah again because i've taken a constellational approach it's it's more the way i look at pieces than the specific pieces that that unifies my project um, so well, I, I do look at some art music from the nineteenth century. um, and uh, anyone in music uh, who hears this will laugh at me for just speaking about that as if it's one thing. Uh, quite a lot of the music we like to talk about came out of the nineteenth century, and it's it's very heterogeneous. Um, but uh, well, i I've done a lot of work with the essays of Roland Barthes, um who, uh, is maybe most easily defined as a literary theory- theorist, though he talked about many other things. He wrote a collection of essays on music. Um, he had a particular interest in 19th century art song, and that's why it keeps coming up. Um, but I I also look at Renaissance music. I also look at some popular music from the 20th century. Um, uh, so, uh, no, there's, there's not really one time period to which I've restricted myself. And um, the... Yeah, again, the 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 thing that connects uh, all the various components of my project is this idea of voices. Um, but it, one approach that I uh, that I've been taking is the uh, uh, the idea of the the perspective of one vocal line instead of uh, many different lines or chords. Um, another has been the uh, the theoretical complexity of voices, the idea of who's speaking, you know, when. Uh, there, there can be many different people speaking, um, and then also um, uh, just simply the uh, uh, again belts. Uh, one, one of his more famous essays is called uh, "Le Grain de la Voix," the Grain of the Voice, and he talks about the voice of his voice teacher Charles Panzéra, who um, was. Uh, uh, a a Swiss singer and the recordings that exist of him, uh, part of it is his voice. And uh, part of it is the quality of the recordings because they are quite old, but um, there is a certain character to it uh, that, you know, some might define as, as unrefined, uh, but it's, it, it, it endows the recordings with a certain quality. um, And, you know, it's not exactly texture. It's not exactly timbre, um, but it's, um, it, it's a quality that a certain kind of voice will have. Um, and then it, it also becomes a, a way that we can approach voices. Um, so uh, getting back to methodology, um, uh, using Belt's idea of the grain of the voice, I, I look at vocal music.
0: Okay. Well, so you talked about how, well, I guess, um, music... Can speak or has different speakers, and I mean, just talking about music in day to day life, people would say, you know, this song speaks to me, or this piece of music speaks to me. Is that, are are you using these sort of words in the same way? Like, what does it mean when music speaks the way you're talking about it? And like, what does it say?
2: Um, well, when people say music speaks to me, they're often talking about um, a, a certain association and. I, I mean, often it's that music creates a feeling or an emotion. And uh, sometimes that has to do purely with the content of the music, um, either the text or the the pitches and rhythm or some combination. Um, and then uh, particularly with popular music, it, it also often has to do with um, some association that you have either with a time in your life when you heard that song or um, when that music was popular, or the time period it comes from. So when when we say that music speak to us speaks to us, that that can mean many different things, mm-hmm. and often it, it has to do with some combination of the inherent qualities of the music and the the referential qualities of, um, uh, the, you know
0: that that the listener is going to bring to it. Mm-hmm. So like the experience of it. Yeah. Okay. But you're talking about music as like a text. You've said as. Well, you know, you've been using very sort of literary terms, and, and Bart being like a literary theorist as well. How does that mesh with with music? Like, is you're talking beyond just, you know, voice singing, right? So other qualities that also speak. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. Well, well. Belts text um, as opposed to uh, w- when he says text as opposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what he's getting at is the way that readers interact with texts, and I think that um, it, when talking about music, it is important to 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 keep the listener, um, you know, to to keep the listener's experience in the conversation, um, because again, because so much of the way music speaks to us. Um, does have to do with uh, the associations that we make and and the responses that we have uh, to um, you know, to you know either the words or the notes or or all of these things. Uh, so I, I do think that Belt's text is a, a useful model for approaching the the way we interact with music.
0: Okay, cool. Do you have any sort of preliminary findings, any trends and thoughts that you can share about, uh, with us about your uh, your work so far? Uh, any preliminary trends like a bar graph uh, or well you know you're talking <laughs> no, I don't about have the a bar works graph that you studied as a sort of constellation right as different sort of points that make up a greater whole what do you have any idea of what that whole sort of looks like is it more of a like an orion a scorpio or <laughs> sort of a Ur- ursa major kind of thing i'm uh, going to have to go with an i'll let you know on that one no, okay so uh, you know outlook hazy try again
2: <laughs> well, yeah, in, t- in terms of the, uh, the, the specific constellation that we're generating, um, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a cloudy night, but we'll, we'll, we'll check back tomorrow, I guess.
1: I believe it's uh, in research, it's called further studies are required before uh, conclusive data can be met. So yeah, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. But uh, we can't obviously have Mary Blake leave on us until she tells us a bit about her experience on SOGs. Uh, being our uh, El Presidente. And uh, so tell us a bit about that. How was your uh, experience being SOGS president? uh, For the listeners who are regular listeners, you know, we are a SOGS broadcasting show, so uh, we'd love to hear more about that experience. So she's basically our big boss.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, so far so good. I took office at the beginning of May. Um, In that time, uh, well, we we restructured our staff. So um, our two longtime receptionists, uh, Jessica Riley and Heidi Kellett now have, uh, new jobs, um, within the SOGS office. Um, uh, and, uh, we're, we're also welcoming, um, uh, Lola Wong. Uh, I, well, I, I hope I'm not saying too much of, uh, Heidi's personal information, but she's going on maternity leave at the end of the week. So Lola is currently training. Uh, we we're very lucky, lucky to have her. We just hired her, um, and, uh, If you're coming into the SOGS office, you'll probably meet Lola at some point.
0: Yeah, she's Um, very nice, very friendly.
2: Yeah, and I I recently traveled to Ottawa to attend the National General Meeting of the Canadian Federation of Students. Um, Our local had put forward three motions, mostly regarding graduate funding models, um, and they all passed with some amendments. Um, So
0: we're pretty happy about that. Well, nice. Do you have any, um, you know, big plans as president, uh, at least for this year?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I mentioned graduate funding earlier, and graduate funding is is still a problem. Um, the, well, you know, the obviously the the pie in the sky plan is uh, I want my colleagues not to be starving. I I don't want to have to hear stories about how people can't pay their rent or they have to drop out of the doctoral program because they can't afford to be in the doctoral program anymore. Um, obviously, these are big questions um and they're not the kind of thing you just solve like that but one of the reasons i got into student government
1: is because i want to try to address these issues that's exactly what we want to hear to be honest that's very 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 encouraging i'm sure a lot of our graduate listeners would love to hear that to be honest um but yeah i mean obviously graduate school is very very expensive and when we have uh, proper people lobbying for us that makes us uh quite happy absolutely of course
0: yeah, and uh, we, of course, wish you well in uh, your initiatives there. Um, so we are coming to the end of our program today, but uh, I didn't want to let you, let you off the hook without asking what your personal favorite piece of music is. Is there anything part- in particular that, uh, that speaks to you? And feel oh, free to use a Justin Bieber song. I should have anticipated this. Um. <laughs> Well, then, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
2: Well, I'll I'll stay true to a uh, to belt and say Charles Panzera's recording of Forest Claire de
0: Lune. Wow. Okay, you you can't give us a. Sort of a rendition of what that sounds like, can you?
2: Well, I can't do Palisca's <laughs> voice, but I mean, the the piece goes. Votre est un that's
0: that's the beginning of it. Wow, I'm I'm very impressed. Yeah, likewise, actually, that was phenomenal. Oh, totally. So if people uh, out there in radio land or podcast land were interested in following up on some of your work, or um, as a graduate student, or, uh, you know, as uh, president of SOGS, are there any sort of web uh, presences, any resources that you can point them to to find out more about you?
2: Uh, Come see me in Talbot College or the SOGS office.
1: Okay.
0: Well, that's uh, easy enough, I guess. And that's a
1: wrap on this uh, medium
0: day. Absolutely. So, this has been Gradcast with me, Yemin Chan, and Andrew Hanna, my co-host. We've been talking with Mary Blake Bond tonight. And if you out there in radio and podcast land are interested in coming on to our show and talking about your own work, or if you are uh, a super huge radio nerd like you know, all of us here, and would like to join our committee, you can find our website at gradcast.ca, or drop us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com, and you can hear us live uh, on the air every Tuesday at 6pm, or follow our our podcast, uh, subscribe on iTunes, or wherever you get uh, your high-quality podcast subscriptions. Thanks very much and have a good night.